Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Robert. And this is Track Walking. I'm so proud of myself every time I hit that intro. Uh, tonight, we do have a guest. Guest is uh, apparently named Robert, which is weird because I've never called you that in your life or in my life. Um, but we haven't known each other for that long. But Robbie is the host of 1010's podcast, uh, part of the Tracktune family of podcasts, as I like to refer to us. Uh, on the podcast, he has many opinions, but in real life, I found him to be uh, much more subdued. So, Robbie, how are you? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we before the show we were uh, we were commenting on uh, how many more listener you were going to have uh, because you were on this one. So <laughs> no, this, this I don't do interviews on other shows. I only I'm I'm just doing what everyone else does to our show and coming on so I can steal all of your fans to come to our show. Nice. Is that why I haven't gotten an interview? All right. All right. <laughs> Oh, no, it is off. funny. That definitely is a thing where people will go on your show and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're you know we're big fans." They'll come on like they clearly haven't listened to a single one, but they're just trying to like steal your reach. Jerks. Which, which I think is when I was like, "We don't have one." Like we have like I'm shocked at who listens, but we like you're you're bigger than us. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you are, but cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm always flattered at who listens. So like uh, we were at uh, uh, Gingerman uh, for my first GLTC race, and I made a comment on the show. I was like, "Yeah, I thought I screwed someone up, and I couldn't figure out who it was." And he comes, and uh, Eric Jensen comes up to me. It was me. It was my fault. And I'm like, "You listen to the show? That's weird." <laughs> yeah, he's a good dude too. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, the first time, I mean, you and I have done Instagram things back and forth and whatnot, um, and part of how I actually met you in person is because you did this really dumb thing that Seth and I do from time to time. Um, but you had to wait extra long, uh, because of a thing that was going around called COVID apparently. Um, but you wanted to do the one lap of America and which is really for crazy people or, delusional people so which are you and why uh yes <laughs> um i think i'm probably one of the weird ones though that my my infatuation with uh, one lap of america started with cannonball yes. whereas i think with a lot of people that are into it now or into the competition and aren't necessarily as drawn to it as i was to like the cannonball record yep like so, Cannonball, the driving across the country, or Cannonball, the incredible series of movies? Uh, the actual record. So, like, uh, oh, okay. the original Rock <laughs> Gates, uh, uh, you know, Alex Roy's record, Ed Bullion's record. It's like I, I read their books first. Like, I got a bunch of Rock Gates books. I got both of Ed and Roy's books, and I read them. And, like, that was kind of my intro to it was The Driver by Alex Roy. And when he was talking about, like, the prep it took to do it, and then the dedication to drive, you know, at that time it was like 32 hours and I want to say seven minutes. I was like 17 or 18 at the time. And I was thinking this, that, that's a record that's worth going after. And I'm like, you know, at 18, I'm like, I have no way of making it happen. What, what, like, was it like the difficulty or the planning? Like what, what was it about it that like captured your attention other than the fact that it was also illegal? 
I think I think the outlaw aspect of it kind of captured my attention, like the, yeah. the the you know the f you to authority, and like where the where the idea of it came from in the first place was was like we you know we can drive quickly and and fast at, at a safe at, at a safe clip, and still not you know it's not hurt anybody, but it's clearly kind of gone past that. Whereas I think to break the record, you have to average like a hundred and twenty something miles an hour. I was I was gonna ask you at one at what point. Are they almost proving themselves wrong <laughs> as they they're continue there. to break the record? They're certainly there. I think when Alex broke it with 32 hours and seven minutes, I think that was kind of like an obtainable record. I know at the time he said there was no way someone was going to break it. And like, even as I read the book, I'm like, that's not, that's not going to stand. And then, cause he was only averaging like 70 something miles an hour, I think maybe even yeah. less, which seems, <laughs> which seems reasonable. Like it, it seems like, yeah, of course you're still speeding, but you're not putting an endurance fuel tank in. You're just keeping your stops very short, and you're planning your route very carefully. You don't have aircraft support. Yep. You don't have like an extra, what was it, 40 or 50 gallons in yeah, the yeah, bag. Yeah, his entire trunk was a, was a gas tank at that point. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think when Ed Bullion broke it with the 28-hour record, that that's when you start to creep into the, there's no way you could do this safely anymore. And then even when COVID hit last year, they had some unofficial yeah. records down to like 25 hours, which is absurd. Th- th- uh, 3,000 miles in 25 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, Just, I, I, th- I mean, those records have an asterisk next to them, but yes. it's, I think if, if you try to do a 25-hour record on normal day-to-day traffic, there's there's... There's no way you can do it safely. No. But that's back to the original question. That's what uh, got me into One Lap of America because as as cool as it would be to break that record and, and get that type of infamy, it's also kind of not something I don't know if I, I'd ever actually follow through on. Like, you know, I, I plan it out and I think about it. But it's just like, that's a lot of risk. That's jail time. That's like real jail time. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on where you get cooled over or yeah, caught. Yeah, that's not a ticket. That's no. handcuffs that's, and charges. Yeah, that's reckless endangerment at that point. Because uh, I think it's if you have a passenger over 135, I think it's reckless endangerment. And that's uh that's big that's big boy time. Yeah, that'll hang out with <laughs> that'll hang out with you for a while. But but I always wanted to do one lap of America because it it kind of encompassed it a little bit where you you know you had the transits between events and. My friend Bill in town here, he kind of had that same mentality. Whereas, like he he was into the the cannonball record idea. Oh, Bill's Fan- right in town with you too. Yeah, he's in Waukee. Oh, dang! I didn't know he was that close. Yep. So we had mutual friends and just kind of came to find out. It's like you know he's he's way into this stuff, just like you are. Perfect. We should be we should hang out. We we should be friends. Yep. So we actually met at like Cars and Coffee through Michael, who was a co-host of the show when we first started it. Oh, the the and, watch uh, guy, the watch, the watch and Porsche guy. guy. Yep. I think he still does both. <laughs> but yeah, we started talking and then uh, when his co-driver fell out, I was one of the first people he thought of and, and he reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? And I had no budget for it, no plans for it. And I'm like, yeah, of course, we'll make this happen. And then lucky for me, I had a full year to actually budget for it. I mean, I didn't yep. budget very well, but I still budgeted for claim that I budgeted for it. Nobody ever does budget well for it. It's And that's one of the barriers to entry that we hear a lot is 
people you know yeah you know it takes you know it's a fair bit of money and um it's you know it's a lot of time off work but we'd really like to do it someday and it's like this is not a someday kind of an event it's if you want to do it you have to just make it happen because like your life's not just gonna fall around the one lap like it has you have to come into it with some intention yes yeah you, it, like if you get the opportunity and you you think about it it's already too late like you have to just say yes i'm doing it one way or another this is happening yes like be- between the popularity of it now and the cost Jeez. like you have you have to you have to just commit to it otherwise there's no way you're going to get in or or actually allow yourself to do it yeah i mean we're we're already watching the website for when 2022 registration comes up you just you have yep. to yep I, I, and scott I, doesn't get to deal with this but uh it's the whole like like you're talking about finding a co-driver that can commit is so hard yeah it's it's and it seems pretty common that people will commit to it without a co-driver and then actually have to scramble to find one right that seems that seemed really common this year it it's common but the more I hang out with the track community, the more I realize how l- many non-planners are in the track community. <laughs> like people will be, oh, you know, beginning of the season's in like five months and then like two days before, well, guess I should probably put the motor back in. It's like you, of course you should. You should have been doing this in February when you were just sitting on your hands. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm lucky that way, whereas, I guess maybe not lucky, but I'm the opposite, whereas, like, if, if something's broken, I can't let it sit. It has to be fixed. Yeah, I have a hard time with yeah. it, too. <laughs> but that's that's a whole different kind of anxiety, too, so. Yep. yep. But back to, back to one lap, uh, but yeah, like, I, I kind of met up with Bill. He was working on his Subaru at the time, and he wanted to pull, you know, head, head gaskets wrong, you know, weird, right? So we go over there and we kind of, this is the first time we'd really hung out longer than just at a cars and coffee. So I helped him pull the engine and and then replace the head gaskets. And like, we worked really well together the whole, whole weekend. And it was just kind of like that defining moment. Like, yeah, we'll be just fine in a car for seven days together. Yeah, that is, that is (laughs) tough. That is tough. Now, originally back in 2020, when we were supposed to run, but ended up being the no lap of America. Uh, you guys were going to bring Bill's STI. Like what yeah. what year was it? What what was done to it at that point? That's it's his race car. So I think it's a oh gosh, I want I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna get it wrong. I think it's a twenty eighteen Subaru STI. And it's gosh. One, one of the hatchbacks. Yeah. Okay. And it's so it's it's I mean it's got a uh, bolt in cage and a decent amount of engine and suspension work and yeah. I want to say it was like 400 wheel. So, I mean, it, it was, it was a pretty well done car. He's done the sand Hill rally with it and a bunch of like track day stuff with it. So, I mean, it's, it would have been a good car and he's done one lap with it um, a couple times. Yes. Okay. That was the plan. And he'd already ordered the C8 and that was kind of the backup plan. Like if it would get delivered in time, we'd take that. Otherwise the super would be ready. And, and obviously so we, you had plenty of time. Yep. Well, even like we had the the Subaru ready for 2020 before they even canceled it. So like we 
we had, you know, got the engine re- basically rebuilt and put back together and everything was good. And then it was kind of looking like there's, this is going to get canceled. And, and sure enough, it did. Then, then I'm thinking they're going, all right, I might get to do this in a C8. And then sure enough, it got delivered in November and uh, we were ready to take it uh, in May. And one of the big differences between the STI and the C8 is that the C8 has air-conditioned seats. It has, yeah, it has it blow it has the cooled seats. Uh, oh gosh, and cool steering wheel seat. too, doesn't it? Uh, I think it's heated. I don't know if it's cool. I can't remember now. Oh, I hate you so much. But like, it was it was. Oh, it's got the magnetic suspension. So like, everyone complains about how bumpy the roads are in Louisiana. Yeah, I, I can't relate to that. They are I, bumpy. Didn't notice at all. <laughs> so Bobby's describing my first one lap in the in the CTSV wagon too. I was like, "Well, we just turn the vented seats on and you know turn the radio up, and it's great." Yeah, so yeah, that that's the way to do it. Uh, GM actually makes some spectacular one lap cars yeah, for all of those reasons. Before Robbie even came on here, he's like, "You know what? You're gonna hate me because we're gonna rehash this and the fact that you know the bulk of the one lap is just spent on highway roads, just basically driving in a straight line with all the other dumb Americans. And he said that his experience of that was much better than mine, which he is correct. And I am feeling that hate that we were already talking about. So Oh good. Well we're just gonna steer into this. I wanna make sure that we I want to make sure the audience can really feel it. Yep. So like on the first day at we do the autocross yep. and then we take off for Memphis. Yep. And like I jump in, I'm I'm, t- I'm doing first leg, and I'm not sure how we're gonna do this because in my eyes the transits are cannonballs. We're we're getting there as fast as we safely can. Yes. And you know, safely is a relative term. <laughs> so I'm in, you know, we're in a brand new C8 on an open road, like easily the most empty uh, highway that we had the entire trip was on the way to Memphis. I think I recall. So like, that, yeah. And this so is a fairly, I don't want to say unique approach to the one lap but one ha- that has certainly fallen by the wayside a bit because especially the front runners they're stopping for steak dinners they're taking the the good life you know they're they're getting to the hotels about the same time we do and you know we leave several hours after they do but you like you guys were trying to see what kind of highway time you were could make Yep, we kept track of our average speed. Um, I really enjoyed keeping the average speed above a speed limit. Like leaving New Orleans, get like because uh, you know when we left NOLA, we went to um, Tommy's Express Car Wash, mm-hmm. drove a bunch of like through the city, yeah. and then took off for Atlanta. And even then, we were averaging seventy something miles an hour Jesus all the way to Atlanta. <laughs> Did you guys beat the storm? I assume then. We got caught in it a little bit. You had the brunt of it. Yeah, we got hit. We, got, we were up by Andy Hollis for most of it. Like okay. towards that's, that's the closer we got to Atlanta because he stopped and we didn't. But like back to on the way to Memphis. Yeah, we left right away and we're going. And I got a you know, I've got some good speed going. And Bill turns to me and goes, Maybe we don't need to have this much attention. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> i didn't i didn't realize that we weren't going full boards like yeah. it's only day one we don't have to do that okay we, and uh, we got there. We, we got we, there we didn't talk about this enough before we started <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, we got there at eight thirty. Oh my god! <laughs> I think, wow! I think we were the first ones in Memphis because yeah, Andy Andy Hollis and stuff showed up like at least a half hour later. Yeah, we I want to say we got there at like ten ten fifteen, which was pretty early. Like any time you can get in before eleven is early. Yep. So good for you. <laughs> yeah the rest of the the rest of the weekends were. Other weekends, the rest of the transits usually got us there around 10 30, 11. And then Atlanta was the worst one. I think that was, I say the worst one, it was like 12 30. And that was when you showed up at four. So tired. So hey, that's was- not, a, it's not even a real one lap if you're getting in that early. That's not the proper experience. Well, and that's, and that's what, yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about that because <laughs> part of the one lap is, the struggle of it is the the fatigue and you know bickering at your your co-driver all week and it's something that Seth and I and Becky have talked about because the one lap is done with no sorry the Miata is done with one lap duty and I couldn't be happier about it but we're going to be taking the Mazda 2 Mooncake the Mazda 2 next year and we're going to have sound deadening. We're going to have air conditioning. We're going to have cruise control. And I'm nervous that I'm not going to enjoy the trip as much. You just got to find it's new- going to be easier. You're going to, you just have to find different goals. So, so, you, our goal- so you created the struggle because you didn't have the suffering. Yeah. Okay. I I had I had to get to the next transit as fast as humanly possible. All right. So like having an average speed that was below the speed limit was failing. <laughs> <laughs> so how did Virginia go for you then? That was awful because he made me drive the whole thing. What? Yeah, he's like rookies run rookies drive Virginia. Ooh, I was like, we so we switched. Card. Yep, we switched right before the border, and I drove the whole state. No one goes over four miles an hour over the speed limit there. No. Ever. It's no. awful. No. And then, like, if someone does go, like, a mile an hour over the speed limit, everyone just gets behind them. Yep. <laughs> just totally Unbelievable. What, totally what we did. Yep. Nope. I, I never led. That was that was the one time I'm like, I'm just going to follow whoever's in front of me. Just, just follow. If it's a truck going a little faster, we'll follow them. If it's a different car, we'll follow them. Never broke the speed limit. So... How and where did you kind of actively get into cars? Um, gosh, I was always somewhat interested. Like as a kid, I was always into like dirt bikes. Uh, like my dad wasn't the guy that threw me in a cart at five, but we'd always go and do go-karts on like vacations. Yeah. Um, I think where it kind of really started to snowball was and it wasn't even just cars it was like just motorcycles and cars but like when i was about 14 i don't know if you're like on discovery channel when they had monster or monster garage and like motorcycle mayhem and like the jesse james stuff we're we're very different ages but yes i remember those shows (laughs) (laughs) but like watching him build those choppers was kind of what sparked me into wanting to like build things whether it was bikes or cars and like at, at 14, I had a moped. So I was like, all right, well, we're focusing on bikes and, and dirt bikes. So I did that. And then the Fast and Furious came out and that shifted it over to import cars. And then I was into like 
in my eyes, it was always, I wanted to do something more than just car show stuff with it, but that's just what I was capable of at the time. Like we didn't have as like autocross or anything like that up in where I was. So I didn't really realize that existed. So I had a, you know, I bought a Nissan 240SX and I like blew the engine up immediately. And then I put an SR20 in, in it. And that was back when you could buy an SR20 for $1,200 with a transmission and an ECU. You could just throw it in there and then you bring it up and get it tuned and everything was good. And then I drove that into college and that was when I discovered autocross and we were doing, like I kind of got spoiled right away. Cause we did like, um, it was an old shifter cart track that had been converted into basically an autocross course. So you just go out and do like two laps and that would, that would count. Hmm. So that was like really fun. And then it, from there it's, it's gone on to like, okay, well now what's the next thing? Okay. HPD. What's the next thing? Okay. Time attack. What's the next thing? You know, GLTC. And then that the goal was always endurance racing. Like I, that's always been the stretch goal for me. That's, that's interesting coming from dirt bikes to kind of being inspired to build and like do the creative, like actually like I'm going to make something or I'm going to put something together and to have endurance racing be the end point. Why endurance racing? I've always held endurance racing in like, a, like for some, like it just it's a personal opinion. So I know some people are going to like completely disagree with it, which is fine. I'm not saying that's the right or wrong answer. I'm just saying like, for me, endurance racing was always the pinnacle. It's like a 24 hour race was a big deal. I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to like climb that mountain. So like, that's where the, where the stretch goals always were leading. So once I, if I can finally get to that, then we'll see what this, like, I'm really excited to see what the stretch goal is after that. Yeah. Which kind of falls in the whole cannonball record notion of like a grand undertaking. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Are you into, are you into anything else that would be considered like an endurance sport? Do you look at whatever sport and go like, I want to do the biggest version of that marriage. I, I did. I'm married. Uh, okay. <laughs> luckily she won't listen to this. Um, I, I ran a marathon, but that was a one and done thing. Cause that's awful. Yeah. Never, never, ever again. There are many things I'd rather do for five hours or four. No, I did three hours and 45 minutes. There are many things I'd rather do for three hours and 45 minutes. That would hurt. Um, okay. Hold on. Sorry. Yeah, um, but, uh, sorry, a weird pop-up. Hey, there's, there's many things I'd rather do for almost four hours that would hurt the whole time than ever do that again. I, I've never understood running. I like, I like the idea that it's a very inexpensive sport. Like you need a good pair of shoes. The problem is though, the more you run, it's just like tires. I had friends in college that were in the running club. They'd replace their shoes once a month. That's $200 every month. The track day. <laughs> you can't say it. It's not as cheap of a hobby as you think. Yeah, all right. That's fair. <laughs> no, know yourself. Yeah. It's like anything else. If I were to get into it, I would get into it. Yep. Like I, well, I was, I was I skating was always my thing. It was never cars through high school. It was always skating. Always and then cars is what I, what, what I went to after skating. God, skating was cheap though. <laughs> <laughs> Hospital bills too. Uh, that was when I was on my parents' insurance. Nice. So uh, I never saw those bills. 
the worst one I think was when it was the week before finals in college. I was doing a switch up grind on a rail. So it was like a, a cross rail and a down rail. And so I grind across the top and like, this means nothing to almost 99% of your listeners, but it is soul grind across the top. And I was going to do a back Royale down the rail. And I tripped myself as I was switching my feet to go down the angled rail and then landed is like a six foot drop shoulder first onto the cement and, uh, basically lost the ability to like move my shoulder for a day. Yeah. And, uh, so the MRI to figure out that I had a bone spur, like on the socket, uh, that was a very expensive day. Luckily, I didn't require surgery. And he's like, you should wait until you have a job that's going to pay for this. <laughs> like, Because you can live with this now. But when you're 40 and you have a better, you know, like a job that'll pay for this, that's when I would do it. I'm like, okay. And so far, it's never bothered me. But. Some of the best advice I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm going to tell all my kids that. That's, <laughs> I like that. Yep. No, I had, I had a really cool surgeon. Like I, 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 um, had a really awful farm accident in, in high school, like in severed five tendons in my leg. And, uh, just happened to be lucky enough to have one of the best, uh, no, knee no, no, and no. Le- you, you don't get to skip through this story. <laughs> what the hell happened to you? You don't uh, like, so- yeah, five, five severed things. It's fine. I mean, this is like Seth's like, yeah, I broke my collarbone and you know, I, I got back on the bike and I kept riding. That's it's like, no, there's more to it. Robbie, what the <laughs> hell happened to you? All right. So, you know, the metals, the sheet metal that they put on roofs of like barns and stuff. So yeah. it's like that four by eight foot sheet, I guess sometimes they're longer, but I like, don't like that. where this is going. Yeah. No. So, so we were putting, like, we spent the whole summer putting like sheet on, on top of like all of our buildings. And, uh, we had cut an angle on one where the roofs met. So it was like a razor blade, of course. And, uh, so I'm standing in I the wish bucket. You could of the- see Seth and I right now. We're like cringing, <laughs> waiting for this to happen. So we're, uh, I'm standing in the skid loader bucket at the bottom, um, of like of, of, of the bottom of the roof. And then the, my coworker is on the top of the roof. So he like, we're both holding this, the metal in place and we both let go and reach for our drills at the same time. My fucking God. So what does a sheet metal on a roof do? Slides right off and it went straight into my shin, cut straight to the bone, severed all like five tendons. I lost, you know, obviously I can't move my toes. <laughs> But it killed all the nerves immediately. Yeah. So I had no pain. I just looked down and saw this like gaping wound that like you could see. I think it was probably like because it was just a, it was just a straight cut, but it opened and it was probably like two inches wide. Oh, no. So then we I have to climb down off the top of the skid loader and then get sit on the back of the four wheel and they bring me up to the house and it's like um I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> Because I'm I'm strangely calm in those type of situations. Like I, I didn't I didn't have any pain until we got to the hospital and the doctors. I get you know I get my shots and they start cleaning it out because of course it's full of cow shit. And uh, so they're like dabbing it, and of course the you know the the, the morphine. Why are you not making the enough. plunger motion? Because that's what they did. They like yeah, it's they took, like gauze and like we're like oh, stabbing God. it into my wound and and luck yeah, but luckily the surgeon that I had just happened to be on call and happened to be the best leg and knee surgeon in the area. So like he, he fixed me right up and I was back to walking like I think six weeks later and a couple years later I ran a marathon. But but when I had any injuries that were serious and I needed an actual surgeon's opinion, I would travel all the way back to Northwest Iowa just to have his opinion. That seems legit. (laughs) The dude saved your leg. I mean, (laughs) yeah, there's some trust earned there. Yeah, it was funny. He's like, 
okay, can you move your toes? I'm like, yeah, not looking down, of course. And, and he's like, so no, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking I'm doing it, but yep. no, the, those, those strings aren't pulling anything. My, my body's telling me that something's happening. Yep. That's, oh, all right. Yeah, you need to change the freaking subject or something. That's terrible. Are you not good with blood? I'm fine with blood. It's it's pain that I can imagine. That's terrible to me. Like, like the thought of like you know the webbing in your fingers being cut by like a razor blade or even like a paper cut makes me cringe because I can, f- like my brain like starts to imagine that pain. Yep. Wow. Yeah, like that, that that real uncomfortable, like in your stomach feeling of, and your nope. palms are sweaty. Nope. Yeah, and I, actually, I actually kind of have that right now thinking about it. Nope. I've I've hurt myself enough times that pretty much anybody describes a particular injury, and I can relate it to something that I've done. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I kind of know what that feels like, and I hate that. So yeah, I don't want yeah. this. I don't want this. Yeah. No. No, my my nerves are still on the top of my foot all the way up to the uh, scar. That they're still like not there. Yeah. So like, like if you want to make me feel like I, it's gonna make me feel uncomfortable anyways, but if someone like touches my foot on the top and like wipes, like swipes their finger up my leg, it's the most uncomfortable feeling in the world. Cause those nerves are just really screwed up. Yeah. My, my, um, I decided to cut the very tip of one of my fingers off on a table saw and fun. yeah, the weird decision it's <laughs> decisions were made. Um, <laughs> And like, even to this day, like if I tap something really hard or if something like right on the end of my finger hits it, the best wow. way I can describe it is like the raw visceral nerve feeling. And it is like, it's, it's almost not pain. It's no. just super uncomfortable. That I have that exact feeling from my shin all the way to, to the top of my foot. That's terrible. Yeah. When I had him put the artificial joint in my finger, it was because it, it was that feeling all the time. If I bumped my finger on something, it was just this like nerve on nerve intense thing. And I actually went into the surgeon and said, could you cut my finger off, please? Like, I can't live like this. I need you to cut my finger off. And he was like, all right, let's try something first. So I thankfully another good surgeon story, but yeah, I'm yeah. Like my brain is tingling right now with all this. We need to talk about something else. Oh my God. Say, how, we, let's talk about cars. Can we talk about cars? I think this Motorcycles went, I think this or went something? down from like the whole, uh, skateboard thing to cars. Yeah. Okay. Here, here we yeah. go. So you, you did HPDE and yep. what was it about HPDE that was like, I need to do more of this and I need to go compete in time attack. So I'd, I'd done autocross for a couple of years at that point, not consistently, just off and on. And, but like, I'd, I'd get like, uh, I, I don't know, board's not the right word, but it just, I knew it wasn't for me. And I just like, I just didn't have that passion to go back and like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to get that last 10th of a second and I'm going I'm to miss that cone. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this the priority. And it just, it just wasn't there for me. And I was like, well, it, but I, I want to go faster. I want more. So I did an HPD at the Iowa Speedway and this is after I'd LS swapped the 240. So we sh- I show up on, at the time there were new RS3s, uh, but they're 215s on a 300 horsepower car, which is not the best. Rowdy. Yep. So you're like the most terrifying new student ever. I was, like, I was just showing- thinking about that. 
you're that guy who shows up to a beginner's like, yeah, I've got some autocross skills. I just Ella swapped this thing and showed up with the newest 200 treadwear. I'm like, cool. Someone else should definitely be your instructor. Not me. This was, this was back when they did the right seat. uh, Right. No coaching, not coaching, uh, instructing. Cause I know we've kind of gone away from that for obvious reasons. And so, I mean, guys like you, that's why that's, I know I never crashed it with that setup <laughs> with at that. an HPD. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was kind of weird though, because Iowa Speedway is probably not the best place to do your first HPD, just because that bank is super steep and you can carry a lot of speed, especially with that car. So, like, I'd kind of get up to speed and kind of baby it through the corner, and then I'd kind of get on it, and you could just see the instructor just like reaching for his seatbelt, like, like I'm. I'm totally within my means at this point, but you could just tell. And I don't remember what brakes I had on them, but they clearly weren't good enough. And I cooked them and it was, it was just, it was so sketchy, but at the same time, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough. Yeah. So I, I, I immediately jumped to the next uh, event that I could. And then the year after that, I think I made it to every single mid of TT. And then, it, yeah, it snowballed from there. And what's like time attacks a pretty unique format it's it's a super sprint kind of as long as you want to make it and you're competing largely against the clock and yourself but really against other people how did that how did you like that i mean it's basically autocross just really really fast i'm gonna piss off a lot of uh time attack people here but like, but like the timing in uh, competition wise, like it's a lot like autocross. So, it is. what? How'd that go for you? Um, I always, maybe not always, but like after I did it a few times, I, it started to feel like a stepping stone. Whereas it, this, this is what I'm going to do to get experience, to get confident enough to do wheel to wheel. So the more I did it, I wanted, I always wanted to improve as a driver, which is why I'm super stubborn about I don't want my car to have a bunch of nannies. Like I, I, I'll have power steering and power brakes or, or boosted brakes. And that's kind of where I want to stop. I don't want, I don't want traction control. I don't want ABS, uh, like all that stuff. I want to, I don't, I, I want to learn proper heel toe shifting. I want to feel threshold braking. I want to know that I'm in control of the car and the car is not doing it for me because I want to be a better driver. So that's always been like the main focus is that when I go out, I'm not, I I, want to do the fastest lap time, but I want to do it because I'm driving better every time. You want to be you, not the car. Exactly. Which is kind of why I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of time attack is because you can rely on those nannies. I'm not taking anything away from any driver. Like, I mean, Ferris goes out there and breaks track records, everywhere he goes. That's not just the car. He's clearly an incredible driver. I'm not taking anything away from that, but you can definitely like someone that has the more, more money or a better nanny on his car is probably going to be capable of doing a better lap. Yes. And I, and I know that like, that's not the mentality I take into it. Whereas like someone would be like, yeah, I got this new $2,000 ABS brake setup. I'm like, great. I paid $300 to take mine out. Right. (laughs) But uh, and that's also why I, at the 
in the last couple of years, I haven't focused on getting the, the best tires or like the, you know, the best of everything is because like, well, I'm still learning. So if I flat spot a brand new set of uh, Hoosier slicks, I'm going to be really pissed off. So like I'm, I'm finally getting to that confidence level where I, I, I believe in my driving enough that I can start to chase after, um, moving up in the pack and and, and actually just getting faster rather than just trying to improve. So you take this mindset of driver development over car capability, I think it's the way I'm going to put it. And then you decide to do your rookie weekend with GLTC. And so no longer are you comparing yourself on a spreadsheet or email link like you are able to see directly if you are better than the person in front or behind you. Yes. How was that a encouraging experience, inspiring, depressive? How'd that go? All of it, because... That's the correct answer. <laughs> All of it, because it, I, I felt every range of emotion. Um, the when I didn't show up last, that was a good feeling because I, I I didn't have like crazy high expectations. So I, again, I've really only been doing this probably about three years. So like all of my like I, again, like I said earlier, I, I I wasn't in a in a cart when I was six years old. I didn't have a dad that was into racing. I didn't I didn't really have friends that were into racing. I had some friends that did like um, like sprint car stuff, but like I didn't even start following formula one till like three years ago. So like all of my race craft, roughly three years old. <laughs> so I'm still very much in the learning phase and I'm almost to that point where like when you learn something and you get kind of good at it and then you hit that like plateau and I'm fully aware that I'm at that plateau and I need to just power through it and get to that point where I'm starting to realize, realize my gains again. So like right now I, I know that like if I continue to keep working and keep focusing on improving, the results will start to come. And I ask this because I know exactly what you're talking about with the plateau and Seth was nodding as well. You said you just have to power through it. What does for you, how do you, are you still in it? How, how are you? working through that because that's that's hard when you've you keep going back to the same track and I'm speaking of me you go back to the same track and you're not getting personal bests for a while what do you what have you done so this this is where like my connections through the podcast have really paid off so like um like Andrew with Apex Pro so like I'm I'm starting to really get into data and 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 understand my driving techniques and then either like the mistakes I'm making or the ways I'm improving. So like, I don't, you don't necessarily have to chase after just like, if I didn't do my personal best, there could be you know any number of reasons to that. It could be the weather, your tires, you might've just drove poorly that day or, you know, whatever reason or chasing issues on your car, like blown head gaskets. It, it happens. Um, but like I went out and I bought, you know, Ross Bentley's speed secrets, uh, Carol Smith's all like, prepare to win, engineer to win. Um, there's a, not Carol Smith. It was like a think to win. I got the skip barber books. So like I went full on nerd and I'm just, I'm learning. I'm just trying to soak up everything I possibly can. Like I, I like I'll, I'll talk to you and we'll compare data. I'll talk to someone on the track and, and like, what's working for you. And so like, I'm still in that phase, like 
just just give me all the information and and let me and see what sticks and then try to apply it and then go back to the drawing board so like it's yeah like you, you get that like ramp up of like you know nothing to but you know after a year then you know everything and then you realize you know nothing again and now you got, you got to go back to like practicing on specific things and continue to learn yeah i've I've always heard it described as in like you start, you don't know what you don't know. And then yep. you think you know everything. <laughs> and then you realize how much you don't know. And then finally, like, and this is like the lifelong thing is you, you know some things and you're good at some things. And you're fully aware that you won't be perfect at very many things. <laughs> yes. Yep, because and that and, and like that's that plateau is where a lot of people quit, because then like yep. they don't know what they don't know. They get to that point, and then they realize what they what they're where they're at versus where they need to be, and they they actually know what to do, and they can't quite apply it yet. It's then they get frustrated. Yeah, then they get frustrated and quit. And I I told myself I would not do that, so I'm taking that like the stubborn approach, saying like I'm fully aware of what I'm doing wrong. I'm going to actively work on on finding the advantages of what I'm good at. And what I can improve on and, and focus on improving. Did you have a similar time and experience in skateboarding? Rollerblading, but yes. Rollerblading. I say skating, everyone just goes straight to skateboarding. But yeah, rollerblading. So like it was aggressive skating was always my thing. But yes, uh in college I definitely had that. Like I would I I basically skated alone through high school because I didn't have I had a handful of friends like Adam and that was it, uh that actually skated. And then I got to college and there was like a good core group of skaters. And then we went, I went from skating like once a week to every day. And that was when I started to realize, you know, you, you got past that plateau and you were really learning and you could realize what you were doing wrong and, and continue to improve. So I get that. So it almost sounds like you took that lesson from high school. And if you surround yourself with people and you get outside input, outside help that that can actually you can do much more than you can by yourself. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, like, um, like talking to Andrew, cause we've done some data reviews or just, you know, stuff like that. We're like, this would have been so helpful in skating. <laughs> you know, just like, just looking back like, I would have been so much better had I just been able to look back at like video review or something silly like that. Yeah, the, the amount of pressure you had on your back foot, was really disproportionate to the timing that you lift off with your, I don't know. I, you you okay. say that and that's the thing you actually do in skiing. Like when they're, yes. when they're doing competitive skiing, that's hundred percent videotape people and look at body position and ski pressure and all that stuff. So don't make fun of it, Scott. It's I'm, really, I'm not making fun of <laughs> it. I'm just saying like, if you had data for those things, like pressure sensors along the different wheels. So, you know, like your front to back, I, I don't know. Maybe that's a business venture. I don't know. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, like, uh, in I was doing a my physics two class. They, one of the project was to like you had to make a video or whatever. So I just used it as an excuse to make a skate video. So I just basically used skating, or it's called the physics of skating, and like the whole video was just kind of explaining things. And what I learned, one of the big takeaways I got was like in, in figure skating, the way they can do like the triple axles or whatever it's called, where they'll take their hands out and then pull them in as they jump and it spins them. I've, I landed my first 900 after I learned how to do that. <laughs> yeah. When I was, um, 
I used to be a water ski instructor and, um, you know, I instructed basically all the disciplines that you could do behind a boat. And one of the things I, I remember learning with wakeboard was the kind of cuts that you took towards the wake, depending on the kind of trick. Yep. And I, I realized years later, I wasn't very good at wakeboarding, but I realized why I couldn't do anything behind a wakeboard is I kept doing this one kind of cut that would force the board to go behind you. So it's like oh. if you're trying just to do like a 180 or a 360, like you don't actually put the board out in front of you very much. Like you really keep it under you because of your center of gravity, you know, so you can actually yep. like land on it. But I was like putting it like really lean. I was a slalom skier, so it's like really push it out. And every time I'd go up, the board, because the boat was pulling me, pulled my upper body forward, kicked the board back, and I just ate shit. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah, that's my experience with wakeboarding too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I've done it like three times. That was exactly what I've done. It was fantastic. Just drank go. a lot of lake water. Yeah. <laughs> rinse rinse the back of my eye sockets out more than once. <laughs> so um so GLTC went and multiple emotions. How'd your because you're gingerman, right? That was your first yep. weekend? Yep. No, I, I, I decided if I was going to do it, I was going to get thrown to the lions. So I picked, I picked the biggest field they've ever done yeah. on the track. That's everyone's home track. Yeah. So it was 54 drivers, many, um, you know, and I, and I knew the car wasn't going to be top 10. I mean, I, I, you're not going to show up on Toyo RRs and be top 10. It's just not a thing. It's impossible. <laughs> so well, as I um, learned over this weekend, top 20. Or top twenty would be. is hard. Top twenty was the pie in the sky stretch goal for me. Like if everything went my way, for some reason these tires had more grip than I couldn't believe. That was you know, like if I could be up in your like I think you at twentieth in one of the races. I was like if I could have made it up to you, I would have really felt like I'd accomplished something. So yeah, just so you know, you're catching up to you is a stretch goal for me. Bro, aim. <laughs> I've been saying this a lot recently. Aim higher. <laughs> the, the first goal. Obviously, Tom O'Gorman would be the far stretch goal, God, which is which is why I want to be racing against people that are better than me. I, w- I want to know where I can improve. So I had the experience this weekend of uh, running the 200 Treadwear street tire race, which not everybody was on 200 Treadwares. But figured. Tom... Uh, <laughs> Who was Andy took Tom's car and Tom took Andy's car on slicks for the race just to get yep. data, you know, see what they could do. Andy went faster in Tom's car than Andy did. And it was really demoralizing coming out of the keyhole side by side with Tom, having legs on Tom and getting in front of him just based on car power and knowing that I was about to get eaten in the break zone going into China beach. Oh yeah. And a break marker and a half later is when he breaks it. He wow. didn't even slow me down. He breaked by me so quickly. That's crazy. Yeah. It's that I, that is one thing I know I need to focus on. Cause I break too softly too early. And, and that might be again, one of my own issues is because I don't have ABS and I've kind of grown to like soft break. I get it. So 
learning. Coming, <laughs> coming along with that, I want to ask you, you mentioned a couple of times, I, I'm not the guy who's, whose dad threw him in a cart at six. Have you had a chance to drive a proper fast go-kart? Uh, I drove the NPO one, which is kind of like a fast go-kart. Yeah, I well, really I mean, I hate you even more. <laughs> those. Yeah. I was actually just talking to him about those, but no, like, like if you get a chance to drive, um, either a shifter cart or a DD2, one of the go-karts that has four wheel discs on it. It's, it's a little different if you drive any of the carts that just have rear brakes. Oh yeah. Um, because the braking technique's different because you're not using the front wheels. But if you get a chance to drive one of the carts that's got the four wheel, that, that all the wheels are, are, have brakes on them, it is the most analog braking experience you can imagine. Um, and you will learn something about yourself. I mean, give yourself 10 laps in a cart with those brakes. And I guarantee you'll learn something about yourself. Um, it's, it's remarkable. Um, and, and I talk, and I only say when you, you're talking about you plateaued and you feel like you've plateaued and you have to break through that. When we do that on motorcycles, I always put somebody on a different motorcycle. I'm like, cool, go ride something else. Because if you, if you keep beating yeah. your head against this same wall, you're just going to put dents in the wall. And so like, or go, head or your head or, but, but go, go try like something a little bit different yep. um, that, that relates to that skill. So like, if you think you need to break better, cool, go get in, in the thing. And probably NPO one is like that too, probably, especially in an aero car that has brakes. It's like, you know, mind bending levels of, of brake force. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, <laughs> really and so, so yeah, like if you can like step outside your comfort range, so go bother your friends and see who's got a shifter cart and uh, see. Josh does actually. So yeah. I am going to have to bother him. Yeah. Go do that because you like, it's one of those things where you can break from 70 miles an hour to 30 miles an hour in like three lengths of the cart. <laughs> it's just, it will suck your eyeballs out of your head. It's not even the same thing that you do in a car, oh. but the the control is all there and you can feel the weight shift and you can you know break and then you can properly trail break in it and do all of those things you want to do but it happens so fast and so violently and it makes every car seem like calm and rational and uh try that it's it's fun You've already talked me into it. I'm I'm going to reach out to Josh actually. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but you, I know you could have stopped that halfway through and I'm done. Like Let's yeah. go do it. Yeah. <laughs> that I, we'll be doing we'll be endurance racing the NPO once. Like that'll be the, the, you know, the opportunity next year to do a lot of that. Are you really? Yeah. Yep. But I'm on a team that we, there's four of us that are endurance racing an NPO one. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, 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 uh, yeah. I jump straight into this here. Yep. We're making the same jealous face right now. We're like, uh, you know somebody way cooler, and it's like, hey, I like you. I'm going to put you in a really <laughs> cool car. Go drive in Champ champ Car, right? Uh, WRL. WRL, yeah. IMSA Light. Um, yeah, it's, oh my gosh, that paddock. Yeah, we were, it's. When we picked up the car, we're in, uh, we did, you know, basically across the street from Road Atlanta, so we swung over for the WRL race that was there that weekend. It's just like. This is a Formula One paddock from 1975. I'm, this is unbelievable. And this, it, I'm a little nervous. Like it feels like that's where GLTC is going, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sad about that. Um, I just, I don't know it, where like true grassroots stuff is anymore. 
Like it seems like every level has just come up so much that it's the barrier to entry just seems high again. Yeah, I I, I still think GLTC has it right with the barrier of entry being obtainable, whereas the SCC, SCCA still seems to be a bit unobtainable for a jet like a, a, a regular schmo. Like you have to commit right. to go to club racing. Oh, NASA I, too. Like you've got to come up through their own program. So like it's like you're not, I mean, going to a school now compared to what it was 20 years ago is not, not the same. It's like, yeah, you either have to have a built car ready to go for the school or you rent a car. So, I mean, then you're going to shell out six grand. Then you still have to get a car. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge investment just to decide whether or not you like it. Cause I I knew somebody, um, I was in college, but he wasn't, um, but he, he had like a Porsche he was doing club racing with and like, you know, he he went that route. He's like, I, I, I'm going to do this, and he and he went to the school and he bought this this Porsche. I think he did it maybe a year, and then realized this isn't for me. So he spent a, a good amount of money to find out. Yeah, this isn't my thing. So you've done skating, kind of into dirt bikes. You've done HPD and Time Attack and GLTC, and these are all. Granted, you can do them with other people, but these are all like singular effort sports and endurance racing, which is currently the pinnacle for you, is a true team effort. Like you are not the only one in the car. There are many people actively working on the car. What do you think, what parts of that excite you and what parts of that maybe make you nervous or are going to be an adjustment at least for you? Yeah. The, the, the team decisions will definitely be, um, is, is what's totally new for me. Like the guys that are on the team have, have been on teams before. Um, so I'm kind of coming in and just definitely not coming in with a big head saying like, we should do this. And, and I, and I also think it helps that one person owns the car yep. and the rest are part of the team. And it definitely doesn't have this, you know, one leader, three followers attitude. It's, it's, we all discuss what we think is the best path forward. We make a decision as a team, we commit to it and we move forward. And it, I think it helps that the, the guys on that, that team go into it with a, I'm not going to come into this with an ego. I, I want us all to be better. So like, instead of one person chasing a lap time, we talk about, how we all can be better at, 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 at like what, what was, what was making Josh two seconds faster a lap than the rest of us. Granted, he's a hell of a driver. So what we were, we were already talking about like, okay, well in this, you know, in this turn I was doing this. Oh, well I was doing this. And then like, then so like working through setups and just kind of talking as a team, we've already proven like right off the first month or so, like it's, it's just a, a, a good attitude where we all are running in the same direction. And that if one of us kind of goes off and like, oh, I think we should focus this, we we can kind of have that like everyone come together moment and say, hey, we're not focused where we should be focused. Yeah. And so far, you know, granted, it's only been a month and we haven't had any real like racing or anything done with the car, but I'm super excited about where the, where the team is going, just from an attitude and uh, focus direction. I was going to say, it, in in business, they talk a lot about uh, the culture of an organization and how the really healthy organizations don't ever kick anybody out and they don't ever cram any doctrine down anyone's throat. It's just what everyone has 
kind of agreed to and sometimes in so many words and that the people who eventually want to go elsewhere and granted this culture can change and shift over time but that if somebody decides that they think the group should go in a different direction or wants to push or pull or whatever that they basically they're never kicked out they just decide to leave because that group is so clear and so focused in what they want to do that that one or two people will just know that that's what they're doing and they'll just go try something else yeah and i and i don't hoping that's not the case with the four of us i think it, so far it shows that like Booney wants to run Factor Fab Racing as as professional as possible. Like it, it, you know, this isn't just some like, hey, we're just going to show up and have a good time, and whatever happens, happens. No, he, like, we we want you know, logs of everything, as prepared as physically possible, plans, practice, like it's as professional of a setup as he possibly can. Like we've already like, he's, he's like, I think we should do like driver change practices. I'm like. What do you mean? I think we should do it's like, that's, we have to, <laughs> like, so it's just kind of like, that's that mentality of like this, this will be ran as, as tight of a ship as possible where we're, like, we're all thinking the same thing. Like if we're going to win or, or do well, we all have to be on the same page, whether it's pit stops, repairs, you know, how we drive strategy, stuff like that. And the, the conversations we've had already without, you know, without actually going down those paths have been really constructive where it's just, we all know where we want to end up and we all want to get there together. That's cool. And I can't imagine like how helpful it would be because in GLTC, like I can compare data. I can talk to other people with the same platforms of cars, but like they're all functionally different in at least three ways but you guys literally can compare and look at data from the exact same car. And the only difference is how much you weigh and maybe track conditions from like when one person got into the other, but we're talking really small differences here. That's that, that seems to be like to me to be a lot, a great goalpost. It's like, well, this guy was doing it and like for me, it's like I look at some of the faster Miatas and it's like, well, if they can do this, I can try, but I'm also not sure, like my car is not the same. I'm not sure how much of that I can do. But if one of your co-drivers does something, the car can do this and the car can probably do more than what they did. I just have to go do it. Yeah. I I find that I, reassuring almost. No, I completely agree. And it's like in skating too, like when I was... I would fight to get to a certain trick and, and, and land it like was months. What is, you know, let's focus on a specific trick for months, never land it, land it that one time. I can land it every time. It's just one of those things. Like once you know, you can do it, it's there. And so like that, having that ability to have someone that's like, I'm just going to use Josh as an example, because he's a very fast driver and I, I expect to be chasing him always, but having him as, as a reference point, and being able to talk through how he's driving versus how I'm driving, I feel like I'm going to improve awfully dramatically in the first few months of our actual like racing and, and focus on driving. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. 
but like I've, I've taken that approach of just fo- like once I got to the, the, the 350Z where I thought it was going to be within the rules of GLTC, I didn't want to keep just throwing parts at the car. I'm like, okay, this, I feel good about it. Now let's focus on me, the driver, focus on data review, like, uh, you know, video review. Um, like at, at one lap of America, we did the autocross. And then as soon as I got done, I got off, you know, helmet off and I just sat in the, in the, in the Corvette and just pulled up the PDR and I watched the video. No, no, no. And then I, the first thing you did is turn on the air conditioned seats. That's true. And then, and then you pulled up the data. Yep. Then I watched the video and then I rewatched it and I, I was like, okay, well, I shouldn't be breaking that early. I should, I, you know, I shouldn't be, do, you know, I should be on throttle here. I should, you know, and it was just, just like that. I was cutting seconds off. Granted, it's way off pace from like the pointy end of the stick, but I was still able to prove like, I think it was like, uh, I don't know, like eight seconds, maybe less, you know, six seconds or whatever from like when I started to when I finished and over the three runs. Significant. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a huge improvement. And just, just that little bit of video review, it was, it was enough to like, okay, I can clearly see what I'm doing wrong, which, which was encouraging. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's good to have a reference instead of just saying, well, I suck. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> Stop sucking, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> my wife and I kind of have that, uh, that, that same approach, but totally opposite end of the spectrum. So like she has these like little, little note cards that are like really positive. Like, you know, like it's like on the mirror of like when she gets ready for work, she has this like really cheerful, like today's gonna be a good day note or whatever. Okay. And then mine on the, on the shop full, uh, wall is plastered on the thing. It, it just on the, on the bulletin board, it's just big bull letters. Nobody cares. Work harder. So it's just like my, at my ad, I don't, I don't want to hear your effing excuses. I, I like, I could have just said, Hey, my car's not going to be ready for Heartland park. I got two blown head gaskets and I got seven days to be there. No, that's an excuse. I'm not, I'm going to be there no matter what. And I, so, yeah. So does your wife try to like when you're bummed out or frustrated or something, does she try to encourage you to look on the brighter side or like, does she try to give you like, put the sticky notes on your face and say, Hey Robbie, just, it's not as bad as it seems. Yeah. She, Oh, she definitely tries to take that. Like the sun will come out tomorrow approach to make me feel better. Whereas I just need silence. Just let me quietly work in the shop by myself for the next 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's always an interesting dynamic and something I certainly have seen a lot of is people often, help or help others or tell others what they themselves would want to hear, um, which rarely helps <laughs> the situation. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can respect that they're, they're doing what they know how to do to try to make you feel better. Yep. No, like it, she, she came into the shop, right? At, like two weeks ago, I had the Z ready in my, I, like everything was done. Blake's brakes were feeling good. Everything like the coolant system was bled. I, I was happy with it. Took it out for a test drive and immediately just spiked all the way to like overheating. Like, so I came back, pulled, like let it cool off. And I, I let it run with the cap off the, off the swirl pot. And I just revved it and you could just watch the bubbles just go. I'm like, 
both these head gaskets are blown. And like, as I realize this, Jess comes out to the shop. She's like, how's it going? And I'm clearly just like, fuck. (laughs) Throw it, like throw it jewels. Like in the movie that the glass hits right next to her. She's like, well, I'll be back later. I'll see you later. (laughs) Yeah. Like she couldn't depict the worst time to come out. But like, once I kind of assessed the, the damage and knew what the, the path forward was and, I didn't even wait till the engine got cool before I started tearing it apart and assessed the damage and got parts ordered that next day. And luckily I was able to get the heads. They had a 24 hour turnaround time to get the heads decked, which is unbelievable. Wow. So then last Saturday I got it all back together and test drove it and we're good. So you, you typically you're okay and you, you can kind of let a situation go once you know what the problem is and what to do about it. Absolutely. Like if I, if I can't figure it out, like if I, like, let's say that engine's just randomly dying and I can't figure out why that's what'll bother me. If I know what to fix, I'll be anxious about how fast I can fix it. Not, not, not the mentality, like the, the, that anxiety of like, Oh God, it could be anything <laughs> that yeah. that's right. Like we'll lose sleep. Yeah. yeah. Seth, uh, Seth lived through the, um, the few weeks between NCM and one lap for me with me and uh learned learned a great deal about uh the anxiety <laughs> that is that can be Scott Robertson when something's broken and I can't do a thing about it. Yeah, see that was that I think that's the biggest difference because like if you would have brought the car when it would have been able to bring the car straight to your shop, I bet you would have been way better off like mentally than if you, you know, have it sit somewhere else. Yes. Do you normally let anyone? You don't get to ask questions here. We're the interviewers. Oh, that's fine. I kind of felt like I was completely destroying the show by only the one talking. No, what? What? (laughs) I just have to. I feel like I have to give you crap. I don't even know why. Uh, What's what's up? That's what everyone says. Um. Uh. Where was I? Now I'm completely lost my train of thought. You you wanted to know if Scott would lose his mind in a certain situation. Yeah, like so. Are you like me, where it's <laughs> like you have to be the one to like fix your car? Like if, if I like if you bring your car to somebody else to fix it, is that something like you stress about more than if you just do it yourself? I don't take my car to anyone else to get it fixed. Okay, we're exactly the same. Yeah. Um, oh, I have a story with that. I brought in. <laughs> I, no, seriously, no, I. <laughs> I wrote in, I was, I was at my cottage this summer and my daughter was up there and she needed an oil change on her fit. Normally I would do it back in Texas. And so we had to bring her car in to get an oil change. And I figured out that the last time I had paid somebody for an oil change was 1999 in the Yukon in the middle of a road trip to Alaska and back. And it was so weird to go in and be like, here's money change my oil for me it was the weirdest thing i'd done in years your last oil change was well older than your daughter what is oh yeah way way older so and and that's it like my kids have so i was like okay so i know academically this is how you go to a shop and tell them what you want and receive the service we should go learn this together so that when you're off being an adult you too can go to a shop if you need to and I felt like we learned that together because yeah, nobody does things with my cars. It's yeah, it was weird. So weird. It's it's nope. a it's a kind of I actually don't 
I don't particularly like it. That's just how I am. Like it's a pathology. Like I oh, absolutely a deep distrust of the <laughs> knowledge and capabilities of other people. Yep. Nope. I, I know what breaks during the middle of uh, head replacing head gaskets. Yeah. I know yeah. what I know what I didn't fix properly, but Some, I don't know what you didn't fix properly. <laughs> sometimes the less you know, the better you are. Um, back when I was playing with PT cruisers with one of my good buddies, <laughs> yeah, laugh, whatever. It happened. It's part of my life. Got to gotta start somewhere. I, <laughs> we we talked often about being automotive hypochondriacs. Because, like, your car's front suspension is held on with, like, what, four bolts? Like, and the subframe can come out? Don't do that. I mean, it's freaking terrifying, (laughs) especially considering the curbs that I was running last weekend. It's like, I can't actively think about it. But when I do, I'm like, there's no way this car is not going to tear itself apart when I turn left. Or or that you're... I was going to say, or you're... Your your transmission has four bolts holding it to the frame, and then then your engine has just two. Every time I see that adapter plate <laughs> on the K twenty four with the Miata, it's like it's that much bolt. There's <laughs> like maybe five. I know there's four, and it's like and that holds it. I'm like I'm supposed to be like I'll put some Loctite on it. That'll make me feel a lot better. What is wrong with us? <laughs> Just the, look the, at your look at your tie rods. Sometimes your oh tie rods in little tiny joints, and nope. they're like pencils. And they're like every they fail, and the whole world just explodes. Use and a you 12, go careening into the woods. Use a twelve <laughs> millimeter box wrench to to change this, and it's like how, how is the not, world not ending every time we go to start up our cars? We're not even going to go into motorcycles and the things that are like, yeah, this cotter pin will keep me from dying. No. Definitely. Yep. Motorcycles are dumb. Cars are dumb. Motorcycles are real dumb. Cars are terrifying. And that's when I talked about the, the carts with four-wheel brakes. Like, you can get in a cart that has 40 horsepower, goes 75 or 80 miles an hour into a braking zone, and has one disc brake on the rear axle. And you could do it with 20 other dudes at the same time. And they'll be like, no, it'll be fine. We all have this singular failure point that's definitely going to kill us all. But eh, whatever. It's like we've all agreed as a racing community that we're all going to have convenient amnesia over (laughs) like the real inherent risks and dangers of motorsports. And basically be like, it'll be fine. Yeah. 99% of the time it is fine. Right. Yeah, or like, or like how tiny the the snap ring is that holds your whole transmission gears together. Dude, I, that is one of the automotive things I will not do is open up a transmission or differential. Like every time I see people like painting marks and then you have to put it together just to see like how things. I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. Nah, once once you do it once, you're fine. No, transmission, I, manual transmissions, totally fine. Automatic transmissions, voodoo. It doesn't, I don't know how it works. I'd, I'd but, at least have to have somebody who's like super knowledgeable to like, let me watch you do it. Like I'll assist you and then let's do it again with you assisting me. And maybe I'll be good at that point. 
The That's good thing is somebody taught me working on industrial gearboxes. They said the good thing is if you do it wrong, you know immediately. There's no like half yes. wrong on it. It's just exactly. like if it works, you did it right. If it doesn't, it's immediately catastrophic. Well, it's like your uh, your Mercedes AMG minivan. Yeah. If it yep. started up and ran, it's like, yeah, you're fine. It either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, by God, you know. Yeah, and you and you know this story, Robbie, about Seth's crazy his van yeah oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> real, amazing real dumb things yeah no I, I taught myself how to rebuild a t56 with uh youtube and a service manual i like you yeah. and i and i and i learned that i did it wrong when i put the case all back together and nothing spun i'm like oh, <laughs> mr pulling this apart again <laughs> round two luckily it was just like an alignment thing because you had to have the the rods into like the the casing in just such a way and i didn't do that so like once i just adjusted everything and and then did it it was was totally fine and now that's somebody else's problem but he blew up the engine before he blew up the transmission so that's 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 on him (laughs) seemed totally good so you're going to be um are you guys actively racing the npo1 this year or just working towards it for next year Everything we do this year is prep for next year. So we'll do a few test days. Um, we have one seat molded or, um, yeah. So we're basically, what we're doing is we're going to mold the seat to the biggest driver and then everyone's going to build mold their own seats to that mold. Um, so that's, that's kind of the next step. Uh, we were going to try we had a test day planned, um, at Hallett at the weekend after Heartland park. And it's like, none of us can make it. Um, so like Booney's like, He's going to Lamar and then he comes back. He's like, yeah, I can't really just go away that next weekend. I was like, oh, yeah, my condolences. No, normal problems. Yeah. <laughs> must, must be nice. Yeah. So, yeah, it just doesn't. But, like, we're going to do a few test days, just kind of shake things out, learn the car, get it set up to a point where we feel confident that we could drive it in multiple-hour stints. Because, yeah, like, we didn't have the right seats in it when we did our te- first test day. You know, I, I got done. I was so beat up because like we, we had taken a, a shifter cart seat and just kind of like strapped it into the, the, the plate and it didn't really work. So like I'm, I'm bracing myself with my shoulder blades over the edge of the seat. I'm like hanging off of the steering wheel. Like I'm cr- my hands are cramping after yeah. 20 minutes and like my, my knees are all bruised up because they're banging off. You can't cage. drive like that. Nope. 20 minutes max. And but, but as soon as I was able to kind of get some water, I couldn't get back out fast enough. So I'm. There was one out of the four sessions we did on that test or that I drove on that test day. I was actually comfortable ish with the setup we had, um, with the seat and stuff. And I was, I was, I could have kept going the other three. I don't know. It was just like the angle of the seat and like the way we were strapped in. And it's just, I was so uncomfortable that after 20 minutes I, I had to get out of the car. Yeah. So you're doing GLTC at Heartland. Yep. I'll be at Heartland and, Grid life still or uh, festival still up in the air, but the plan for sure is to go to uh, Road America. Nice. Okay. Good. Like good. See I'm, you. I'm kinda, yeah, I'm kind. I'm choosing to do the. I think I, I have an advantage at at Heartland Park because I know the track really well, and a lot of the drivers don't. Yep. I'm not saying it's going to give me a huge advantage. I just I just know the track. Yep. To um, speed quicker. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've I, I've never driven Road America yet, so I really want to fast yeah it's it's worth doing i've I've driven on the sim a bunch of times because like i again it was one of those things i actively wanted to be better at like 
knowing my mistakes. So I, I took I did the spec racer forward at road America. I just drove it for hours. And like I was, I was, I was doing a terrible job balancing the car. And I, I taught myself that doing that on a spec racer forward on the sim. I was like, okay, well I can, I can improve this. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. When you, that whole breaking soft and early thing, when you're breaking downhill into Canada, let me know how that goes for you because it's <laughs> there's there's no way in a sim like it's intimidating oh, in yeah. real life when you're like, I think every lap I've done there, and I haven't done a lot of laps there, but every lap I've done there, I break twice there because I'm like I need to break, and then I slow down so much I have to let off the brakes, yep. and then I have to break again when I actually get to the corner because I'm so bad at that. But I'll do, that, I'll do that for sure. <laughs> I, I told you my, my first hot lap going into turn one at AMP on the one lap. Oh yeah. That is precisely what happened because it looks like the turns here. I mean, cause the tracks falling away and turn one's kind of blind and I start braking and then I realize how much farther. So I start to let off <laughs> and then I go back to the brakes, but then I realize how much farther. So I go back to <laughs> throttle Nope. because like it's still up there and then i finally break i just like all the videos i watched was like oh i think i should be breaking here no no you, no. you could break so much later i want i want yeah, that, that i want track, to just man. drive that track for i have hours. a stand i have a standing offer from matt williams to just go down and and do like a, a tail of the dragon and an amp weekend and like he's like anytime We'll take the fit or we'll take the Miata, whatever you want. I'm like, <sighs> yes, you're the, you're the nicest, meanest person I know. Yes. I, I will take you up on this. You, you, take, <laughs> you take both of them. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you, uh, who do you need to talk about and tell us links to and give shout outs uh, to? Oh gosh. Um, my personal Instagram is Rob Vierhout because I, again, we, can't have just the same name. It's Rob, Robbie, Robert, as long as you're consistent with one of them. Um, otherwise, if you want to listen to my hours and hours and hours of podcasts, uh, check out 10 tenths podcast. Um, we're on Facebook, YouTube. Um, we used to have a Twitter. I don't think we use it anymore. And, uh, Instagram, we would just push all of our Instagram to Twitter. And then it like lost that, it lost that connection. I never put it back. <laughs> so yeah, you got to sign back in. And... <laughs> I forgot the password and, and it's, um yeah i think that's that's really it i mean just if you want to check out our 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 podcast yeah 10 tenths and then uh, if you want to follow my race car stuff and that's really all i post on instagram if you want to just follow that rob your help nice we are at track walking podcast on instagram and facebook um yeah probably let uh track walking chats it's there on facebook group if you'd like to post there not sure we're going to post there much uh people find it valuable go for it we'll have some conversations but i don't think we're going to start as many for a little while until it's the off season and we're bored and uh yeah that's about all i've got but at least we'll get to race with each other before the end of the year at least once yes that'll be perfect i think uh i think you need to make midwest fest happen because of we'll reasons see. There are, there are many reasons. <laughs> Big boy's going to be there. That's true. Big That'll be fun. Well, for the three of us, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Rob. This is Track Walking. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>